Hello again, this is Rabbi Jeffrey Sachs of Atid in the Web Yeshiva with another edition of our Atid Jewish Educators book podcast. And this time I have the very great merit to be talking with Rabbi Dr. Norman Lamb, Chancellor of Yeshiva University, about the 20th anniversary edition of his extraordinarily important work, Torah Umada, The Encounter of Religious Learning and Worldly Knowledge in the Jewish Tradition which was reprinted last year by Magid, a branch of Korin Publishers, and co-published with his own beloved Yeshiva University. Uh, about 25 years ago, when I entered Yeshiva University as an undergraduate, uh, Rabbi Lamb had already at that time been president of the university for a little over 10 years, and I entered into a, a community that was thinking about itself, and that conversation, which happened around the time that Yeshiva University was celebrating its centennial, was very much organized around this topic of Torah Umada. It was a conversation that Rabbi Lamb had very deliberately put on the agenda of the community as a way of trying to understand how the Jewish world, the Orthodox world, the modern Orthodox world, and Yeshiva University in particular, understood and grappled with and dealt with and was influenced by the encounter between Torah and Judaism on one hand and worldly knowledge or what's sometimes called secular studies on the other. And that was for a young man such as myself, my classmates, and the Yeshiva University community at large, a very impactful, seminal conversation that resonated with everyone that went through the halls of, of Yeshiva University and is something that I know for myself is something that I've grappled with during this past 25 or so years. So Rabbi Lamb, maybe just in a, in a few sentences by way of introduction, maybe tell us and our listeners, what was it that compelled you to focus on this topic and and really put it at the center of the communal conversation. Well, it really is a long story, and I, I do not want to keep it too long. But uh, when I was a student at Yeshiva, I was troubled by the fact that, after all, Torah is, is, is more important than anything else in our lives. At the same time, uh, there is a world out there. The world was created by the Rebona Shalom. The same Rebona Shalom who appeared to Moshe Rabbeinu in Sefer Shemot and all through the rest of the Torah, and in the same with Rabbi Shalom, about whom we read in Bereshis, and then he created the world, uh, and, and he developed the world, and that there was a whole uh, civilization before the Torah was given, factually. So uh, I was troubled by the fact that we have a conflict here, apparently, between the myth of Talmud Torah, which is supposed to be all the time, and the the uh, uh, the uh, study of the God, of the work of the Rebbeinu who created this world, and the more we go into science, the more we learn about the about the heavens, uh, the more overwhelming does it become in its in its and its uh, greatness in its. Uh, Encyclopedic kind of knowledge is necessary to understand it properly. Uh, and the, what was yesterday's chiddush is today old, old news. And uh, there's a world there with no reason for us to ignore Bracious 
while emphasizing the other four chumashim. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you do both? Should one do both? And if so, how? That's what uh, bothered me when I was a student. And I was hoping that my elders and the faculty and the yeshiva, uh, the Russian yeshiva, would give me some hint about it. But there wasn't very much that was discussed. It was sort of accepted and practiced, but uh, there was not very much uh, involved in in getting us to understand the nature of the conflict, if indeed it is a conflict. Mm-hmm. So when I became president and the students, some students came to me with the same questions that I had when I was a student, I couldn't very well dismiss it. Because now uh, it was my job to do something about it. And so I, um, I did something about it. I, uh, I uh, created Torah and Mother. Uh, in, 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 in the Torah Mother Sensitivity amongst our students. I wrote the book, and now I've come out with a third edition, uh, which is really, in many ways, up to date. Right. Uh, so this is the nature of my involvement. So t- 20 years ago, when the book came out, one of the striking things about it is you put forth these six models of how the Jewish world and the general world classically uh, interacted. Uh, just to run through them quickly, the first one is the rationalist world, the world of Maimonides. The second is the cultural world, as epitomized uh, in the book by Rav Shemshin Rafael Hirsch and Torah Imder Heretz. The third is the mystical model, where you point to Rav Kook, uh, in which we can look at the entirety of the secular world as itself sacred in, in a way. The fourth, the instrumentalist model, uh, and there you discuss the Vilnagon, which sees um, the study of general wisdom as a kind of precondition for certain types of Torah study or for certain types of psakalacha. The inclusionary model, in which the secular world, the secular means means the world, uh, the world itself, uh, and you discuss Rav Tzadok Cohen's idea of the a textless Torah, in which the world itself, the world around us, uh, is itself a form of of Torah which is meant to be studied. And finally, the in in in, uh, in quotes here, the Hasidic model, uh, not that we're pointing to a particular Hasidic. Uh, uh, um, uh, point of view, but the Hasidic model as a as a metaphor for Mada as a kind of worship, general studies as a kind of worship in which we would serve God with the totality of our being. Now there was some, there was some both both then and and I imagine over the past twenty years since the book first came out and maybe again now there was some pushback to to the ideas you were putting putting forth. Um, what what were some of those responses from the Haredi world or the yeshiva world or even from within, even from within the world uh, of yeshiva university itself? Well, in yeshiva university itself, I did not detect any great opposition to it. I did, uh, fortunately, uh, feel that uh, uh, there was at least an attempt to bring the two worlds together in an organized and sensible fashion, um, but. Um, uh, the Khamedi world, uh, which reacted to the to my to my ideas in the book, was mostly through the Agoda's uh, journal, which I, I don't know is exist, still existing today. And there, of course, they attacked it mm-hmm. uh, because they regarded it as happy courses, even though the very people who were 
who are attacking were themselves either lawyers or scientists or whoever, not scientists, but lawyers and uh, uh, people who I got to think of. People who are involved in professions, generally. In professional people. Uh, and some of the, some of the, uh, some of the attack was, um, was uh, simply insincere. Uh, and, and they had to print another, and in the next edition, they had to print a strong letter by Magudinik, who felt that, uh, who was, that the article purposely misread my remarks, uh, whatever it may be, uh, the usual kind of, uh, usual kind of, uh, discussions we find in, in journals. Uh, not, not the greatest, not the worst, but mm-hmm. in journals. At any rate, uh, that was something that continued, and uh, and it continues to this day. And I'm proud to say the fact that it is since uh, that book was published, uh, I don't know how much of an effect it had on individuals. I assume it has some effect because our people are generally thinking people, so they can agree or disagree, but they have to discuss it. They have to do something about it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think that it was, you know, it was something that students wanted, and I think, I hope they appreciated uh, what my remarks were. Right. Uh, the fact that he, I built mostly on the Hasidic model, of course, is itself, uh, rather, I must say, rather stunning, because Hasidism in general <laughs> would not have accepted that. Right? That's why we no, no. put Hasidic in kind of quotation marks. Well, that, that actually brings me to my, to my next uh, question. It's an interesting point you raise. This, this move of, let's say, translating or applying uh, sources to categories that might be foreign to their, to, to their own home base. Here, the case of the Hasidic model that you pointed out. Um, uh, so how do you uh, – what, what makes that – What's difficult about doing that? Uh, uh, how how do you see that as as a as a legitimate type of intellectual move when you're taking a model from a, a an intellectual community or a spiritual community and kind of pouring content into it, which itself would be rejected by that by that home base? Well, I'm not I'm not writing as a husband. Yeah, I have a a great deal of respect and love for Hasidism and for certain certain personalities in the Hasidic world. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, we're, we're one people after all. Right. Um, but uh, I, I didn't, I nowhere is implied that there are Hasidim who take this point of view. What I'm doing is saying that the concepts that they put forth in Hasidus uh, actually, actually can be Interpreted and translated into Torah and Mada. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is not illegitimate. I'm not saying that this is what the Hasidim believe, uh, uh, although there may be some who do. But uh, what I meant is that, and what I said is, is that the, the, the writings that they have about how a person should conduct himself at the Banisha Lalam. And to the world around him, some of these, one of these concepts, uh, if expanded, uh, legit- legitimately expanded, uh, 
brings you to Tower Manor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, one of the responses uh, to to the work and to again the the work as the the work as a kind of uh, uh, sum, summarization of a larger conversation, the conversation I alluded to at the beginning of our of our discussion, um, was this question of the degree to which Torah Umada is a very uh, intellectually focused endeavor. Um, it's something which may have resonance to a certain type of a certain type of intellectual elite, but is harder to implement as a lifestyle for the masses. Uh, I, I recall that that was a point of discussion uh, back in the day. Uh, how did you respond to that? What do you think of that uh, that line of questioning? My response was that factually, every student at Yeshiva University uh, is practicing Torah Amarna. <laughs> Sometimes they don't know that, what they are doing, and in, in that sense, they don't they don't define the ideology behind it. But if they're learning Torah for for until three o'clock in the afternoon, and then come learning Torah again at night and do this measures, and in between they go to university, spring university studies, mm-hmm. so they're doing Torah Mada. Do they agree to my rationale by giving it a name? Well, I can disagree. That's okay. I don't have nothing. They don't, we don't require them to follow me on that. But I think many people do, uh, and uh, uh, therefore uh, it's a uh, it's a topic worthy of discussion because we're living that kind of life. Right. We have to know if we are doing something legitimate or illegitimate. Mm-hmm. It can be done illegitimately. It can be done legitimately. The Torah, Torah, of course, is the major principle, but uh, there's a big world out there that Rabbi Shalom created and is continuing to create. I mean, if you just read the popular uh, science that comes out every year, every day sometimes, what's happening in the forefront of science, mm-hmm. you see that there's so much chachmah in it, so much, so much power, that you can't neglect it completely. If you neglect it completely, then your Torah is meant only as a defensive motion uh, and not a... And it's not sufficiently uh, strong enough uh, mm-hmm. to cover to cover existence. We, we believe that Torah is for us the totality of, of of all of all existence. But that means Torah not only in the sense of the five books of Moshe and the and the and the Chazal, etc., but it means the totality of what we're told, and that means Bereshit as well as Shmosim. Right. Right. Uh, you mentioned uh, kind of uh, scientific writing and uh, an inquiry a moment ago. Uh, I, I was struck uh, when rereading the book now before our conversation. You know, the other great proponent uh, of Torah Umada as a philosophy and the other great expositor of what it means is, of course, uh, uh, standing uh, aside uh, to you, Rabbi Lamb, is, of course, Ravaran Lichtenstein. Um, and one of the interesting uh, differences in, in how both you and Rav Lichtenstein have gone about uh, discussing and speaking and writing on the topic is, I assume, has something to do with your own differing academic training. You yourself uh, have academic training in the sciences. 
And Rabbi Lichtenstein, of course, comes out of the world of the humanities and English literature in particular. And this, the examples that you each draw on, although, of course, there are cross examples to, to, to each of them. But if you look uh, overall in, in the in the on the bookshelves of, of each of your collected writings, uh, he's drawing more from the world of uh, literature, and you very often draw from the world of science. Actually, one of the interesting additions to this new, uh, ad, one of the interesting additions to this new edition is a correspondence that you have, which has been added as an appendix to the book, a correspondence that you have with an astrophysicist who had read the first edition of the book and wrote to you, and, and we have here, uh, you know, your your letter back to him. It's it's a, a nice addition to the uh, to the uh, to the present volume. Uh, do you think there's any difference uh, in the overall conversation about thinking through Torah Mada as a lifestyle, practically, whether you come out of the sciences or out of the humanities, and how that might affect how we view these things? Well, I think the, the important thing is not to be narrow. One should not be a student of literature and simply neglect the world of natural sciences. One should not be involved in the natural sciences and neglect the vast area of humanities. It's just that I'm acquainted more with one area and Rabbi Lissensee was in another area. Mm-hmm. But I think our basic approach, uh, forgetting the small details, our basic approach is identical. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, may be, he may be involved more in Milton, and I may be involved more with Einstein. But... Uh, that's the nature of the nature of people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I try to write about things they know more about and rather than less about. Uh-huh. And in, in terms of the, the practitioner of Torah Umada, the, the student or the college uh, student or the, uh, the, uh, the, the balabos who's interested in making this lifestyle mean something, do you think it's going to uh, be easier to play that out, whether they're a person with two feet on, on one side of the curriculum or two feet on the other, whether they're more rooted and oriented and interested in the sciences versus the humanities, do you think it would play out the same way? There wouldn't be any... No, it's the same way. The only question is Torah and non-Torah. Mm-hmm. Torah in the strictest sense on one side, and on the other side, all the rest of existence. Uh-huh. That too comes from Sure. So here, because it's so vast, I mean, you... You, you, I draw my examples more, perhaps, from the from scientific areas, and I'm going to see more from literary right. aspects. But uh, basically, the concept behind it is the same. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the uh, a different kind of cultural question of the degree to which cultural activities uh, and cultural intake uh, is something which can be, according to any of the six models, uh, can be integrated with a Torah lifestyle. So obviously we know that there's, you know, high culture and there's low culture. There's Milton, you referred to a moment ago, and there's well all types of other things whose names we won't mention in a in a family podcast such as this. Now aside from you know aside from let's say Justice Stewart's old uh, adage that you know it when you see it, uh, how do we kind of understand the lines of demarcation between those cultural products which are worth trying to synthesize into a religious life and and those that aren't and i'm obviously not talking about the things which are which are you know obviously antithetical to a torah lifestyle but how do we kind of navigate the gray zone well you just quoted the supreme court uh, statement you know when you see it yeah uh, the same thing is true here i mean if i 
or trying to consent. So how is Torah compared to a card game? Or how is it, how is it compared to uh, whatever it may be? It sometimes can be silly. Sometimes can be simply irrelevant. And uh, the point is that we're dealing now with worldviews and not with, uh, not with uh, tchotchkes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, from that point of view, there is a great deal that has to be done that should be done. And not everything that I said in the book do I claim to practice myself because it's a very difficult discipline. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I know that that's what I ought to do. Right. Well, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. Is it possible, would it be possible for any one person to to practice everything that's written in the book insofar as you put forth you know, a number of different models, not all of which would be compatible with each other, to what degree, and, 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 and probably in reality, there aren't too many contemporaries that would adopt, you know, wholeheartedly any one model, but we all tend to build a kind of, let's say, eclectic approach. What would be some kinds of guidelines for for developing an eclectic approach based upon your six models or any other types of models of interaction, but that what would be the hallmarks of a coherent eclectic model? Well, to me, it would be if I accept a certain model, does the result strengthen Torah and the Torah personality or not? My claim is that there is so much in the mother part that is necessary to understand and appreciate and compare and live with the Torah part, and that too is what I call in my book a textless Torah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, you know, the Bible is a vast world, and while we can never, anyone, any single person can have a complete mastery of it, but we have to at least acknowledge its existence in our lives, especially in our the cultural dimension of our lives, the religious dimension. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a, a difficult task. One one lifetime simply isn't enough to make it all, all done. Mm-hmm. But striving for it is is the is what we're commanded to do. One of the other very nice features in the new edition is an afterword. Uh, by uh, Chief Rabbi uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of uh, of Great Britain. Um, <laughs> no relation, no relation. We actually spell it differently. Um, in which uh, it's it's an updating of a review essay that he'd written twenty plus years ago when the book first came out. There's a passage there. Uh, I'd like to read it at some length uh, because I'm interested in hearing your response to it. It appears in the book on page 210 onto page 211. This is what Rabbi uh, Sachs says. He says, the reference of the word Mada alters from generation to generation. In our time, Mada represents the culture of modernity. What are the salient elements of this culture? Rabbi Lamb defines them. For in a single paragraph, we have before us the most compelling possible reason for concluding that whatever might have been the relation between Torah and Mata in the past, and whatever it might be again in the future, in the present, the two are radically opposed. Then he goes on to say, consider the aspects of modernity one by one and their implications for Judaism. The substitution of experience for tradition undermines the Masorah. He's describing the kind of the contemporary uh, milieu of religious life. 
the, re the rejection of authority compromises the relationships in which the transmission of values rests between parents and children, between disciples and teachers. Radical individualism is destructive of community, in particular of the community of action, which is the essence of halakha. Repudiation of the past subverts the self-understanding of the Jew as a person bound at birth to the covenant of Sinai. The privatization of religion weakens the idea of Knesset Yisrael, the Jewish people, that the primary partner of the covenant is the Jewish people as a whole, not a series of sects and denominations, each seeking relationships with God, but with one another. The rejection of particularism is a fundamental assault on Jewish singularity and the religious life in which it's expressed. Now, this, this paragraph is, is uh, significant. Uh, Rabbi Sachs himself, of course, we know from his own writings, is, is also a great uh, practitioner and uh, exponent and explicator of the Torah Mada lifestyle. Um, but here he's raising a question about the viability of Torah Mada, not as a worldview, uh, not, as a, not as an ideal, but in terms of its application in a kind of contemporary civilization where you know all the rules have changed that the models on which on which we draw from uh, from the rambam to rav hirsch uh, from the gra to rav cook etc uh, modernism postmodernism has kind of changed all that so it, it's remarkable, you know, for within this overall uh, glowing and very, very, uh, very supportive assessment of what was accomplished, you know, through, again, the, the conversation and through, through the book, where he raises questions. He doesn't answer them definitively, but he raises questions about the viability of Torah Mada in the modern world. I'm curious to your thoughts on that, to your response to that. Well, I didn't respond to it in writing because it was just published. Right. Is, uh, not meant to be, to be a debate. Right. There's no debate. Look, there are many, many aspects of modernity uh, that are very difficult to put into a Jewish framework. But it was always that way. Mm -hmm. That was the that was the achievement of of all of those who dealt with this with the issue in the past, from the Rambam down. Uh, and uh, and yes, uh, life has changed, and life will change. And what today is a great chiddush. Uh, and, and which causes us problems, and well, that will be a change as time goes on too. So I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, I do not maintain that the the, the mother uh, that I describe is uh, as uh, as stated is is not as self. Uh, well, let me put this: is not eternal as is told. Totally. Torah is eternal. Mm -hmm. The application of Torah and the understanding of Torah keeps on growing. Right. But the Chidushim and the other side are also Chol Yom Yom, and uh, he points out that by Saxon points out to many of them, they agree that there are problems. If, he, if there were no problems, we'd all be in the Chidushim having a book on it. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, uh, yes, there, there are problems. There, there are uh, in contemporary uh, Anglo-Saxon society, especially European society, uh, there, there, there are things that are, are happening and talked about uh, which are not visible uh, as to Torah as uh, was a previous generation. 
that's what the next generation has to take care of. I can't <laughs> eternity. <laughs> Enough if I speak about our present. Well, speak, speaking of the present, uh, looking back now over the last 20, 25 years since the conversation started going, um, how would you assess where we've come over these past 20 some odd years? How would you assess where we are as a community today in relation to our our thinking about and our implementing uh, a Torah model lifestyle, both both in the United States, uh, here in Israel? Well, I tell you, the, the, the fact is that there is a great deal of conversation going on. I compare now to 25 years ago uh, when I, you know, when, when I was a student, let alone when I was beyond that stage, I hope I'm still a student. Uh, but um, uh, it's, it's, a, a, um, it's a non-ending effort. The idea of, of, of Torah Amada is not something that can be stated in any finality. Look, this edition of my book, the third edition, has material that I could not have put into the others. Mm-hmm. Namely, the fact that the Sephardic world, the Sephardic Hamidi world, Right. has now undertaken collegiate level of academic studies. Right. You mentioned that in the uh, in the new preface. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mentioned that. And Valvadi uh, says his daughter is the president of a college. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not the same as Yeshiva College, as Yeshiva University, but it will be someday. But meanwhile, he, he has done it because he believes that uh, to have... To have uh, a generation grow up that cannot earn its own living and that cannot speak to anyone outside the machana, uh, closed machana, it's just not right. So you right. have to be able to do it. So he has remarkably, uh, some, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't always, to my mind, represent uh, the most, uh, what shall I say, uh, <laughs> rationally uh, modern world by any means. But he has recognized the need for exposing our people to the, to the what, what is good in the world outside us and what can be helpful to us, hmm. and that is something uh, that should make uh, us think that uh, we're not lost yet. And there are those who are thinking along this line, and I think we'll continue to do so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, like I said, uh, for myself, uh, there are few questions that have occupied me in different ways over the past 25 years, you know, from my late adolescence until now, I guess, approaching middle age. Uh, There are a few questions that have occupied me consistently in the way uh, the larger conversation that comes under the title of Torah Umada. And I know that's true for a lot of my contemporaries and for many thinking, thoughtful people in the modern Orthodox world, and particularly those of us involved in, in Jewish education, because it's something that we encounter every day. It's something that we struggle with uh, every day. It's something that our students are persistently, consistently uh, interested in, puzzled by themselves trying to work it out, and the degree to which, not just in this book, uh, though this book is a kind of headline, uh, but in, in all of your writing and all of your leadership of our community, we are, of course, in your debt. Um, 
I should just say again, the book is Torah Umada, republished now in its third edition by Magid uh, of Korin Press, together with Yeshiva University, available online and in Jewish bookstores. And it's actually one of a number of uh, volumes that Rabbi Lamb now, uh, uh, you know, who, who refused to retire. He uh, stepped down as president of Yeshiva University and continues as chancellor in an active leadership role. And he has turned his pen to the page. And over the past number of years, we've seen the two-volume collection of his essays. We've seen a commentary on the Haggadah. We've seen a collection of his drashot, some of which that go back to his to his days as a, as a synagogue rabbi, as a pulpit rabbi. And now this new edition with a re- new preface uh, and some new material added by way of appendix with, a, with an afterword by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Uh, so we're, we are and continue to be, uh, Rabbi Lamb, in your in your debt. Thank you for talking with us. It's my once more pleasure to talk to you and to your audience. All those, be well.